love Sunday. I hope you guys do. I hope you feel that way. Uh, from the time you get up all throughout the day, it's a great day to worship God. You know that, um, like from the very beginning, 2,000 years ago after Jesus, the, the disciples, the early Christians would come together in small groups. Uh, house churches oftentimes, they'd meet in houses, small groups of them, because they didn't have big church buildings like this. And on the first day of the week, they would set their minds, they would remember Jesus, they would take communion, which we're going to do at the end. Marlon was supposed to do that, but he said he wasn't going to be here. There he is right there. Anyway, I don't know why I said that. Uh, so, <laughs> it's just funny, the stuff that comes out of my mouth sometimes. Funny even to me. Uh, but th- that's what we're doing. You know, maybe a little smaller group than normal, but we're doing something that has been been done for thousands of years now, guys. It's exciting, right? So, uh, so welcome. I want you to enjoy it today. We're going to dig into the Word. I-, I really did prepare some special stuff for you guys. If you want to tell others about it, it's totally fine. I would just recommend not to. Keep it to yourself. Jesus told people to do that. It seemed to spread like wildfire. Maybe it'll work for this group as well. So, anyway, turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, and say, I'm so fired up you're here today. No, give him a big high five, big high five. So glad you're here today. You're awesome. Tell him. Okay, that's enough. That took a long time. Do a high five. Come on. Turn your Bibles to Second uh, Corinthians chapter three. Second Corinthians chapter three. I have a lot to say actually before we read this verse, but you might as well turn there now. Have you guys ever been in a situation where you opened your mouth and as the words were coming out of your mouth, you were like, "No, <laughs> husbands, right? True." Well, usually with the husbands, it's not that way. They don't even realize until later, days later, when their wife hasn't spoken to them. Oh, gosh, that's right. Wives, maybe, right? You're saying something. It's like, no, I don't mean to say that. And then it's just there for God and the whole world to see. I had a situation like that not long ago um, with my business. Just a few weeks ago, uh, Connie and I went to New York City. I actually went there on business and... And uh, we went there to, to spend some time together as well. And um, I was in a, a group. I have like an accountability group, you know, called a mastermind group or whatever, of some, you know, high-level entrepreneurs that we really want to hold each other accountable to stuff. And one of the, one of the guys uh, was sharing that his goal had been to get out of email altogether, that he had been wasting far too much time in email and and social media and different things on the computer and so it was really stealing away his productivity can anybody relate to that so i'm in this group it's small it's like six or eight of us and i you know always got something stupid to say said oh email i love email and it was like that silence and everybody looked at me i'm like oh my gosh i know the rest of these guys are still in email just like me but i was the dummy to open my mouth and say something so literally for the next 45 minutes i'm getting hammered by these guys and gals on how i lose so much productivity in my business and my life by spending so much time in email i was resistant initially you ever been that way? It was like, you know, I kind of like email. Like, all these people looking for me. It's kind of cool, you know. I can reply. And they shared, you know, when you're in email, and this message is not all about email. Jesus didn't have email. Just stay with me for a minute, okay? We're going somewhere productive here. Where was I? Uh, so, so when you're in email, you're working on someone else's agenda for you, not your own agenda. And it started, I started opening my mind a little bit, just a crack, but enough to like let a little light in. And I started thinking about my morning routine recently, like the last six or eight months. And I realized I always wake up early. I love the morning. It's quiet. So I'm up, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock. I love, you know, I spend time... In the Bible, I spend time in prayer. I take my dogs on a, on a walk. They're my prayer partners. We pray on our walk. They demand it, so I, it's good to have prayer partners that demand their time. You know what I mean? And yet, I, I was looking back at like the last 
so many months and realizing that, you know, not only was email like something that had begun to steal away my productivity, but social media, Facebook in particular, had. Now, I do a lot of marketing for my business on Facebook. So I spend a lot of money marketing to people for what I do on Facebook. So I have always justified my Facebook usage as this is part of my business. Anybody ever justified anything ever in your life before? All right. Turn to your neighbor and say, yeah, I, I justify a lot. Some of you didn't do that. I, I see the ones that didn't. Okay, I see you. Just want you to know. I got my eye on you. Watch it. Always watch it. And I started thinking, you know, I have, I have somewhere, somehow, formed this habit where now the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I check my email. And I'm one of those send, receive, send, receive, send, receive. You're, you're, any of you guys addicted like me? Kind of. All right. Thank you for somebody, one, one godly soul being honest. Thank you. So I check my email first thing in the morning, and then I go on Facebook. And, and all of a sudden, you know, I look up and I realize, wow, you know, 45 minutes have gone by. It's 6 in the morning. What happened all night that I need to spend 45 minutes on social media? This is like, I mean, a guy is actually sharing. You know, this is like, I can't be a whole bunch more honest than this. This is embarrassing. Coincidentally, and I don't believe in coincidences, but that's a good word to use in this instance. Coincidentally, on my trip out, I always read, like on the plane, so I'll, I'll read sometimes a book out and a book back if it's a long flight. Or if it's a longer book, you know, I'll read half the book out and half the book back. And it was a five, six-hour flight. So I was reading a book called The Power of Habit. All this was coming to me kind of at the same time. And I, I remember reading as, as we were in this accountability group, uh, which I spend thousands of dollars a month for, by the way, to be held accountable. So I pay attention to what they have to say. I was remembering, I was reminded by some of the things I just read. You know, there was a, over the last 50 years, there's been a ton of research done on habits and how the, the brain, neuroscience, works in habit formation and creation. Literally, what, you know, neurons fire, what centers of the brain, what hormones endorphins, etc., are excreted in our bodies when certain activities take place. So you can learn so much from neuroscience. And of course, there is a spiritual implication to all of these things. Uh, a research uh, study was done at Duke not long ago that states about 40% of all of your lives' waking activities are governed by habits. 40%. Of all of your, let me say it again, of all of your life's activities are governed completely by habits. And when I say governed, what I mean is when you are in a habit mode, your brain actually, neuroscience, shuts off. It stops the thinking and decision-making process and you go into an automated mode. Think about how you got here today. Do you remember? Of course you remember because you take the same exact path every single Sunday to come to church, right? I do too. How fast we drive or how slow. Have you ever been behind that dude in the left lane that is going 55 miles an hour and you're like riding the back of their bumper? This is just raw honesty. You're riding the back of their bumper and you know they're not going to look out the rearview mirror because they're unconscious. I'm serious, Right? Of course, you're unconsciously, or I'm unconsciously doing that. Because that's the way, that's the habit that has been formed. You guys with me? Does, that, does this make sense, you guys? I asked Kevin, who ushers, I said, Kevin, can you please ask people to come up towards the front? Because, you know, we have a smaller service and we want to be more intimate. And hopefully you guys all showered and brushed your teeth, although not so sure about this middle area, people. But... <laughs> You know, let's be intimate, let's be close, let's get together, right? And and Kevin said, you know, I had to really, you know, force some people to do that. You know why that is? Because you're in the habit of sitting in the same place all the time. 
It's comfortable for you. I sit right there. Always right there. Right there. And if I had to switch to sit over there, I'd be so uncomfortable. Right? What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? First thing I do every morning when I wake up is I get up, I go to the bathroom, I brush my teeth. First thing I always do. You know why I do that? Because I like the minty, fresh, tingly feeling in my mouth. I love that. Did you know that not long ago, like 20th century, most people did not brush their teeth? I know, nasty, right? And gum disease and tooth decay was a serious problem in the United States of America in the early 1900s. 1920, 1930, 1940. Do you know why that is? Because people were not in the habit of doing so. It's really cool. You need to read the book, Power of Habit. It's interesting. All of that is on, I mean, because marketers use science to figure out how to change people's habits so they can get people in the habit of using certain products, Coca-Cola, smoking certain types of cigarettes, alcohol. Sorry, Russ. <laughs> it's, it's what we do, he says. That's right. So, habits. What does this have to do with anything, right? Well, hopefully you're already thinking about what the implications are for your life and for Christianity. But I want to show you some biblical implications and even a biblical foundation for what I call the sermon today, Real Talk About Real Christian Habits. Habits are formed by a three-step loop. Okay? Three-step loop. This is something you should write down. This is important. There's a cue that happens that then triggers a routine that you go into that then triggers a reward. Okay? Three steps. Every habit you have in your life has been formed by this three-step loop. You were cued, you went into a routine, and a reward of some kind was produced in your life. It could be, the reward could be anything. It could be as simple as I wake up every single morning and the first thing I do is go and brush my teeth because the reward is how I feel, how my teeth feel, how my mouth feels, and that has formed a habit so that no matter where I am, no matter what city I'm in, no matter what time it is, if I'm waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning, if I'm waking, waking up at 8 o'clock, the habit, it kicks in, it's automated because this loop has produced this ingrained response. Does that make sense? Now, here's the cool thing. Some of that you go, well, that makes sense. I get it. You know, not, not you know, too fancy there. But here's the interesting thing that scientists have found out by plugging electrodes in people's brains. Probably first started with mice, then eventually went to, you know, human beings like us. The interesting thing is that when the habit is formed and... Again, cue, routine, reward, right? Cue, routine, reward. When a habit is formed, as soon as the cue is given, your brain is stimulated immediately as though the, re the reward was already received. Okay? So an example. I, I mentioned walking my dogs every morning, right? As soon In the morning, as soon as I put my shoes on, they are flying all over the house. They're barking. They're doing circles. I have a bull terrier, so he spins. He spins and spins and spins and spins. And I'm like, calm down! Just... But I can't calm down. Because his brain is like, reward, reward, reward. We're going on a walk. We haven't been on a walk yet. Right? It hasn't happened yet. But he's cued. As soon as he's cued. As soon as the shoes go on. Guys, every morning. Think about yourself. Think about others that it's really obvious with. As soon as it's cued, your brain goes, yes, and a craving begins. Does that make sense? You guys with me? You go, wow, wow, this is cool. We haven't even opened the Bible yet. Well, I hope it's cool. I think it's cool. So what are cues? Well, a cue can be anything. A cue can be a location. 
like you come into church and you know you need to respond a certain way in church. And so you're different maybe in church than you are everywhere else because you're cued to begin the habit. Does that make sense? It could be a time of day. Maybe, you know, in the last few years you found yourself, you know, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you get hungry. And so you're cued. It's 3 o'clock. You're cued. And so you need to have a little snack. Maybe it's a, a sugary snack or something like that. And you realize, I've, been, I've begun putting on some weight. And you think, well, I need that thing. You don't. You've just got into the habit of getting it because there's a reward. And the cue is, it's 3 o'clock. Does that make sense? And so these habits form that 40% of our lives, guys, almost half of our waking hours in this world are non-decision-making, almost unconscious habits that are being performed. If there are areas of our lives, implications, right? If there are areas of our lives that we're unhappy with, Christian and not Christian, it could be anything, then most assuredly it is more than likely because of the habits that have been formed in your life that have led you to the place that you're at right now, right today. Now, we're more interested in certain Christian habits. I'm going to talk about what some of those are, and we're going to look at Jesus and kind of see the biblical implications, because all these things were talked about, not from a neuroscience perspective, but from a spiritual perspective by the Scriptures. That's why I love the Bible. So it's cool because when a habit emerges, your brain stops fully participating in the decision-making process. And if you have good habits, then you can have great implications, great production, productivity in your life. But the scary thing is if you don't and you have bad habits, then it produces really negative results. So it's both cool and scary. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I told you we'd get there. I told you it would take a little while, so I've told the truth so far, have I not? Turned to your neighbor and said, yeah, Rob tells the truth. Thank you. Most of the time, he tries. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read quite a bit here, and then I'm going to show you how these things fit together. This is really cool. 2 Corinthians 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. I'm just reading that so you get a little setup of what's happening here. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He's basically saying, look, guys, you know, we're the ones that planted you. We're the ones that helped you to grow. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Verse 4, such confidence, confidence. We have through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Now, I'm going to keep reading, but let me just make sure we're all on the same page, give you some background. So he's talking about these two covenants. He's talking about the old covenant. He's talking about the spirit of the law, meaning the law of Moses, okay? Ten commandments and all of the law of Moses. And if you know Paul's, Paul's teachings, what Paul basically says is, look... The law didn't give you power to change your life. The law just showed you that you were what? Someone say it. A sinner. That you were a lawbreaker. So we have these laws in place, and all it did was show you that you're guilty. And all it did was show you that you failed. And all it did was show you that you can't do it. That's what the law did. That's the spirit of the law. So Paul says, and if that ministry, that spirit, that covenant was so great, because when Moses saw God face to face, and he brought down the, the Ten Commandments. You ever see that old, uh, never mind. Uh, so, remember he brought down the Ten Commandments? You ever see that show yet? These 15 commandments, and he drops, Moses drops. No? Going too far back. What's that from? Uh, Monty Python, right? No. Was it Monty Python? History of the world, <laughs> right? Anyway, gosh, uh, so far off uh, balance here. 
So, when Moses came down from the mountain, his face was glowing. I mean, there was so much glory that he received that his face was glowing. That's what the Bible says. So he put this veil over his face. That's what Paul is referencing. And Paul's saying, look, if this old covenant was that, that glorious, that amazing, and all that old covenant did was show you that you're a failure, imagine this new covenant because this new covenant is of the Spirit and it's a covenant of change. You with me? So let's keep reading. Verse 12, Therefore, since we have such a hope... We are very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He's saying, which has so much implication for us today, he's saying, look, in the past... The spirit, the, 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 the rule of law, the covenant of law, all it did was show you that you failed, that your habits were bad, that you made bad decisions, that you made bad mistakes, and you didn't have a way to change. You didn't have a way to break those habits. You didn't have a way to break those chains. You were enslaved. I was enslaved. He says, but this new covenant is a covenant of what? Freedom. Because we're being transformed. Our habits, our actions, our lives are being transformed to be more like who? Jesus. Is that cool? You see the... Did one person see it? I want to make sure someone saw it. Thank you, Susie. The Spirit transforms. You know... When Connie and I were away, um, and we just got back from a cruise on Friday, and I don't remember if I shared this with her on the cruise or in New York, because I arrived from New York and went to Tampa. I hate traveling, but I've been traveling a lot lately. And um, I was thinking about my life and areas of my life that have been transformed, right? And I, I said... This, these were all thoughts that I had in my quiet time and things that I had written down in my journal, but I wanted to share it with Connie. I said, you know, I became a Christian in 1988, you know, just not long out of college. And I said, if, if, if at that time someone would have asked me, in 25 years, Rob, or in 30 years, what area of your life do you think you'll be most successful in? Like, see the most transformation, the most growth, and just the most pure success, right? Whatever you define success as. I said, if someone would have asked me at that time, I would have said, probably financial or business. Because that's kind of what I was raised. I grew up in a Jewish family, and, you know, a lot of the stereotypes are true. <laughs> you know, <laughs> got to be successful. You know, got to get out there, got to make it. I would have said financial. I would have said my, my work or my business, that would be maybe the pillar of the most, the thing that I would be able to point to and, and say, you know, in this area of my life is where I experience the most success. Think about what that might have been 25 or 30 years ago for you or however long ago it was when you first came into contact with Jesus. What, what, what might that have been? What might you have said? So I thought about that, and that's, what I, that's the conclusion that I came to. And here I am, not quite 30 years later, but almost. And you know, the area of my life that I would say I have had the most success, the area of my life that I could point to and say, this area of my life, by the grace of God, by the way, and I'll share about that in a second, that I am most fulfilled and, and, and can point to, look at all the fruit of success, is my marriage. My marriage. And, I, you know, look, I, I wasn't sharing this 
you know, with Connie because she was mad at me about anything. You know, like, oh, let me try to butter her up and make her happy. I mean, no. No, right? I mean, I, I was just having a quiet time, and I was like, I was trying to come to some decisions and, and some thoughts about my life, you know? I mean, that's what we should do in our times with God. What is God trying to tell us? How is God trying to impact us? And for me, it was God opening my eyes to, look at this. And, and you know the cool thing about that is that my dad has been married and divorced four times. Uh, I never met my mom until I was 30 years old. Now, I, I saw my grandparents be married for a long time, but that wasn't necessarily a happy marriage. And so I had no reason, I had no reason 30 years ago when I became a Christian to, to think that that would be the area of my life where I could point to and say, wow, look at all the success there. And that doesn't mean it's always easy. I'm not, you get what I'm saying there? I'm not trying to say, oh, you know, this is a breeze. I mean, it lets me do whatever I want. <laughs> she doesn't. She doesn't. Hopefully today, though. <laughs> um, you know, I, I share that to say that is this kind of transformation in my life. Okay? I share that, you know, I hope you understand why I'm sharing it. I'm not just sharing it to say I have the best marriage in this room. I hope I don't. I hope, I hope all of you have wonderful marriages and relationships. I'm sharing that to say here is something that I never would have thought could have been successful, let alone that successful. And it was all because of the transformation that Jesus Christ had in my life and in her life. One degree of glory, ever-increasing glory, one degree of transformation to another. And you know what? In a practical standpoint, from a practical standpoint, you know what it means? It means habits have been transformed to be like Jesus. That's what it means. It's not a, in one sense, it's not magical and mystical. In one sense, it's, you know, anyone who claims to be in Jesus must what as he did? Walk as He did. We have to take action like He did. We have to have Christ-like habits like He had. Keystone Christian habits, I would call them. So I want you to think about those things for yourself. I want you to be encouraged by looking back at when you were first a Christian trying to put yourself back in that moment and think about, well, what, what would I have envisioned my life to be like 10 years, 15 years, 20 years later? And now look at it. Hopefully, and, and my prayer is that this is not in any way meant to convict or hurt you. This is meant to encourage you. Because you should be able to look back and see 20 years, 10 years, 5 years, however long it's been, one year you should be able to look back and see transformation in your life. Habits that have been transformed. Maybe it's not your marriage, but it can be. Maybe it's not your finances, but it can be. Maybe it's not your relationships. Maybe it's not how you control your body, but it can be all of those things and more. Amen? Because we're being transformed. Our habits are being changed. Look with me in chapter 4. Let's keep reading for a moment. Paul says in verse 1, Therefore, since, we, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Stop there. I just told you to look back and then look forward. And I know some of you are naturally like me. As soon as we're set, we're told those things, we immediately go where? Where do we go? Dark, negative, right? Oh, yeah. You start looking at all the mistakes that you made, all the bad habits that you have today, all the things that you wish you could change, all the things that you expected to change. Paul says, look, we have this ministry, guys, so we, we won't lose heart. Now, if we were still a part of the covenant of the law, what would happen? It would be depressing, wouldn't it? 
Because we'd have no power to change. We'd have no power to be different. But we do. Because we, we don't lose heart. We now are part of the covenant of the Spirit, guys. Which means whatever it is in your life that has caused a bad habit or that is, has sprung from a bad habit or whatever is in your life that you're struggling, you can overcome those things. He says in verse 2, Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. You know, this is part of the secret, by the way. Part of the secret of habit changing is renouncing secret and shameful ways. Not using deception. In other words, talking about it. You know? Being honest. Being open. We know that as a Christian principle. And, and I know that this, these verses aren't primarily about habit change, but they are because they're about transformation. You with me? He says, on the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what's going on. These are the habits that I need to change. By setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Even if people don't get it. Why are you so committed? Why talk about Jesus all the time? You know, we were in Mexico. We were horseback riding. That's a story in itself, isn't it, babe? That was a very rustic experience. And the guy that picked us up, you know, who's a, a um, what do they call him? Not a foreign national, but he's an American, expatriate. He's an American who lives over there and has all these horses. And I don't know how we got on the conversation about, about God and religion, but he's like, yeah, I don't, and he's really this rough, rough older dude, you know. I mean, he's like curly out of, you know, whatever that movie was, you know, one thing. Yeah, go back and just Google Curly, I guess. I'm not sure. But he said, you know, ah, religion, and, you know, I believe in God, but I don't really believe in religion. And, you know, I said, well, you know, did you have a bad experience? Well, he goes, yeah, not one, many bad experiences in religion. And I, the only thing I could say, the only thing I could think to say is the thing that really nobody has an answer for. And I said, well, what do you think about Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? And immediately, well, Jesus died for my sins, and Jesus... Okay, so all that gruff exterior passes away when Jesus, when Jesus appears. Even if it's veiled, even if others don't get it, it doesn't matter. You can be different, I can be different, because we get it, right? He goes on to verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that His life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. Isn't it true that this treasure that we have is in jars of clay? When we try to change and we fail, do you not feel like a jar of clay? Fragile, broken. But this all-surpassing power is from God. And it's the power for us to transform our habits. So, this thing that we carry around in us, the life of Jesus, let's talk about it for just a few minutes. The life of Jesus. The life of Jesus, His actions, His habits. Maybe we can open it up. Could I, if I ask you guys some questions, will somebody answer? Yeah? Okay, great. Long as, point to a neighbor if you won't answer yourself. What were some of Jesus' habits? Serving. Great. Seemed to be very serving, right? Great habit. What else? Prayer. Prayer in solitary places. You know, I'm going to go to that scripture if you just could relax a second. I'll get there. He shared his convictions about God. 
Awesome. He cared about others. He was in the habit of doing that. What was that? He was very patient, absolutely. Giving, beautiful. Forgiving, thank you. We need that, don't we? Beautiful. Hospitable. Right. Always making time. Right. He was focused. Good habit. Determined. Love it. Not surprising it came from you. Awesome. <laughs> he was a what? Okay, bringing people together, gathering them, so that he could do what? Help them, teach them, serve them, meet their needs, right? Love it. He was sacrificial. That's good, yeah. Okay, so by, he was in the habit of being by himself so he could refocus. Carlos mentioned in prayer. Good. Boy, he's got a lot of good habits, right? No wonder he produced so much in his life. Okay, he was in the habit of like not being concerned with who people were, whether high, low, and so he reached out to those that were needy. Love that. Awesome. A lot more, right? He made it a habit of being obedient to God. That's a good one. I didn't think of that one. That's a good one. I wrote down a lot of these. I didn't think of that one. Okay, so in the habit of being open, learning, seeing what's going on in people's lives. Okay, not totally sure. I mean, there's a couple of different ways to look at that. But yeah, he was, he was both open-minded to people. He was willing to make changes, you know, uh, like the Syrophoenician woman who came to him and, and he initially rebuffed her. And then he said, yeah, okay, let's do it. Good. Any others? Probably a lot more, right? He was in the habit of being honest and direct. Great. He was humble. He was in the habit of being humble. Love that. I mentioned really briefly, and I want to hit these, give you a couple of scriptures. We won't turn there, but I'll give you a couple and some things for you to think about. And then we're going to end with a communion time, thinking about Jesus. But I, I call these, and, and really the power of habit called these keystone habits. There are certain habits in your life that when you change one, it, it becomes like a domino effect of other habits that change in your life. Does that make sense? So as an example, fitness. If you get in the habit of exercising, you'll find that other habits in your life will change. People who have gotten in the habit of exercising have quit smoking, have quit drinking, have you know started eating better, and because of that they produce healthier bodies that you know are that weigh less, etc. etc. And and that are healthier from the inside out. Does that make sense? But it's a keystone habit that then produces more and more fruit with other habits transforming and changing. So I want to give you three keystone habits for Christians. Amen? Carlos mentioned the first one. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, the Scripture says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where He prayed. Jesus' custom was to walk with God. Every day, solitary, quiet, focused prayer. We know that He knew His Scriptures, Bible study. It was Jesus' custom and habit to walk with God. Now, we see here that it was something they did very early in the morning. I've, had, I've, I've heard many people say, well, I do mine at night, I do mine in the afternoon. I'm not here to tell you when to have your time with God. I'm just here to tell you that, at least in this scripture, it's evidence that Jesus had his time with God in the morning. I have personally found that time with God in the morning works well because oftentimes it gets squeezed out if you don't focus on it first thing in the morning. Now, you may have been able to build a habit to where you spend time with God other times. But if it's not a habit, if it's not a keystone habit in your life, then I want you to do a couple things. Remember the loop that I told you about? What was the loop? Someone tell me. Cue, routine, reward. Awesome. Cue, routine, reward. 
So if you're struggling with this keystone habit in your life, this keystone habit, this action like Jesus took every day that made his life what it was, if you're struggling with that, I want you to think, okay, what are the cues that are happening to cause my routine to not include time with God? Is that clear? So it may be that as soon as your alarm clock goes off, that's a cue for you to hit the snooze button. And so you do that two or three times, and now whether you got eight hours, ten hours, or three hours, you do the same thing, right? Because cue, routine, reward, the, the cue is the, the alarm went off, the routine is hit the snooze button, the reward is ten extra minutes of sleep, right? Seriously, cue, routine, reward. So, but that's become a habit. And it doesn't matter if you're tired or not, you're now in the habit of doing that. And because that, you have missed out on this keystone habit of walking with God. Is this too rudimentary, guys? I hope it's not. I mean, I, I've been around for almost 30 years, and th this is like, you know, I still get messed up in this stuff, so I figured, you know, this is for me more than for you. I, I did all this for me, and I figured maybe I'll share it, and it could help you too. So this, this keystone habit can transform every part of your life in 5 years, 10 years, 15 years. You can look back and see radical areas of your life transformed if you install this one keystone habit. Make sense? Keystone habit number 2, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. These are so basic, I'm sorry. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, talking about Jesus. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, as was his habit. So every Sunday, Jesus found himself, or Saturday, in the synagogue, but Jesus found himself where? What was Jesus' habit? I know, to worship, to, to be in church, to have fellowship. I'm telling that to a bunch of people that are here in church, right? What a silly thing to say. But maybe some of you, it's not your habit. I don't know. Or maybe there are others, it's not their habit. You know, it was a keystone habit in Jesus' life. It was his custom from the time he was a boy until the time he died to make sure he spent time in worship, in study, and in fellowship in church. It was a keystone habit in his life. That doesn't mean that every time we come together for church, it's always awesome. You know what I mean? I mean, Jesus went to church a couple of times and then spoke, and then they wanted to kill him. Probably not a great worship service if everyone wants to kill you, right? So not always a great experience. Did that stop Jesus from going to church? It did not. So even if everybody here wants to kill you, you still got to go. Fair enough? Only if you want to be like Jesus. Keystone habit number three, final one. Mark chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him and as was his custom, he taught them. So Jesus was always in the habit of sharing his faith. This was a keystone habit. When they looked at Jesus, when Mark wrote this down, he said, you know what, I have to include this was his, his habit, because he always did this. Whenever a crowd came together, he was talking about God. Whenever there were a group of people, he was sharing his faith. Whenever there was somebody else with an earshot, Jesus was bringing them in and saying, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. I think Sarah was the one that mentioned that. It's a keystone habit we need to have in our lives. I'm sorry to say, I've gotten out of the habit. And so now it's something that I do, but I have to remind myself to do it. Guess what? I don't want it to be that way. I want it to be unconscious. Really. I want it to be so, so much a habit in my life that when a group of people come around, time to share my faith. Does that make sense? Because that's the way it was for Jesus. And so when years went by in his ministry, three years, he could look and see hundreds and even thousands of people that were impacted by his message. And in fact, the whole world turned upside down. Why? Because of these keystone habits in his life. We can talk... Now, you guys mentioned, what, 20 other things? At least, right? I mean, we, we heard things about, about serving, about being humble, about, you know, being hospitable, about reaching out to other... I mean, we heard so many other things. I would say this to you. I would be so bold as to say this. If you can get these three keystone things set in your life, everything else will fall into place. Just like the keystone habit of exercise 
and other things. That doesn't mean it's always perfect. doesn't mean that it flows immediately. But if you can get these things right, you know what? We're going to be okay. And I do believe we're going to be okay. Is this helpful? We'll talk about real Christian habits. So let's, uh, let's finish up in Romans chapter 7. <clears throat> and we'll have... Uh, thank you. I, you know, this was helpful for me. We'll have communion in just a moment. But I wanted to read this because uh, this was my quiet time a couple of days ago. I'm reading through the book of Romans. And I just thought, well, this fits perfect with, with what we face every single day. Paul, sharing about, again, the law versus the Spirit, says this in Romans 7, verse 14. He says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living inside me. For I know that, that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inmost being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray, and we'll take up our communion. Father, <clears throat> we thank You that we're part of a new covenant, the covenant of Your Spirit, and that Your Spirit allows us, strengthens us, helps us to transform from one degree of glory to another into the likeness of Your Son. But Father, even with all of that, even with Your Spirit, we're so grateful for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because our past sins and our past mistakes, even perhaps of this very day, are enough, Father, to condemn us. We feel like what Paul wrote many times in these scriptures, in these passages. And so, Father, we want to say thank you. Thank you to Jesus. Jesus who rescued us. Jesus who loves us. Jesus who died in place of us. As we take part in this bread and fruit of the vine, we are reminded of Jesus' body that was broken and Jesus' blood that was spilled for us. We love you, Lord. We're grateful. Grateful to have our sins forgiven and grateful to have a chance to transform. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus is Lord, my Redeemer, how He loves me, how I love Him. He
So that concludes our service. Uh, let's give Rob a, another hand. Yeah, great job, Rob. Thank you so much, brother. And uh, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We're all dismissed. Thank you.